Indeed, one of the biggest reasons for democracy's weakening is the profound change that's taken place in how we communicate and consume information. For more and more of us, search and social media platforms aren't just our window into the internet, they serve as our primary source of news and information. No one tells us that the window is blurred, subject to unseen distortions and subtle manipulations. All we see is a constant feed of content where useful, factual information and happy diversions and cat videos <laughs> flow alongside lies, conspiracy theories, junk science, quackery, white supremacists, racist tracts, misogynist screeds. And over time, we lose our capacity to distinguish between fact, opinion, and wholesale fiction. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. Those comments were from former President Obama reflecting on the threat to democracy that online disinformation and misinformation continues to play in American society in a speech he gave at Stanford last April. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, July 26th. Let's start off by talking about the latest battles around the January 6th investigation that were spurred on and continue to resonate because of that very misinformation that Obama was speaking about. First, with the January 6th committee, the subpoenas have been sent to Secret Service over deleted texts from the day. They're pushing for the communications to be produced ASAP, although the Secret Service is arguing that some of those texts were deleted due to technical difficulties during a data conversion. The committee is also considering a subpoena of Ginny Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, over her communications with Trump and key leaders leading up to the January 6th insurrection. They've noted that they are talking with her legal counsel and hope she will come forward voluntarily, but they are considering a subpoena if she declines. Also, a lot of notes coming out in various news sources about how the committee had expected to frankly be writing their report by now, preparing for a release in the fall. Of course, that's tied to the political cycle, but instead they continue to bring new evidence to light. And so the timing of this entire investigation continues to be up in the air and uncertain of how it will play out. Other big development on January 6th, of course, was that former Trump advisor Steve Bannon was found guilty of two counts of contempt of Congress for failing to comply with his subpoena to appear before the House Select Committee. So some of the early reports said he was going to prison for two years. What it actually is, is each count carries a minimum of 30 days and a maximum of one year in jail. So he could face up to two years in jail. They are saying they will appeal this conviction. But the big important piece is it's the first conviction of contempt of Congress tied to this investigation and the first since Watergate. So it's a really profound to have this conviction even be pulled. And it sends a signal to others who may be summoned before the court. And it's worth noting the jury deliberated for just under three hours to reach that guilty verdict. So it was a pretty quick deliberation. The other big thing, especially because primary season is quieter right now as everyone's jostling for positions, is a kind of shift back to look at policymaking. Really, actually, the point of so much of this political grandstanding is about passing policy and how does it impact people's lives. A couple things to lift up here. First, of course, two weeks ago, I talked about how the package of policies to reduce climate change address energy needs, health care, was moving forward because the Senate had submitted to the parliamentarian a final prescription drug pricing reform deal 
that was going to be the cornerstone of this climate and health package. Well, that deal collapsed last week after Joe Manchin withdrew his support. A lot of progressive senators and congressmen have been very angry with him, of course, but they need his vote to have the 50 plus one to be able to pass anything through reconciliation, especially after the Supreme Court restricted the EPA's authority to reduce pollution at power plants. This was a real blow. And while Manchin's indicated he's open to a narrower bill just on Medicare and prescription drugs, it seems that that broader package is a non-starter and there's a lot of anger on that front brewing and questions of how that will play out in the coming midterm elections and beyond. Despite that anger, a prescription drug and Medicare plan bill will move forward because you need to pass something. Another big piece, yesterday Biden was speaking with labor leaders and business CEOs about the Chips for America Act. It's a $52 billion bill about encouraging manufacturers of semiconductors chips to make those chips here in the United States. They're really critical for all of our tech, cars, medical equipment, computers, and bringing them back to the U.S., they hope, would both fix supply chain issues and also shore up concerns around vulnerability to economic impacts of China or other countries who might use it to force America's hand in different military or diplomatic avenues. What's interesting here is the CHIPS measure has bipartisan support and so far looks like could have a chance to pass the Senate over a filibuster be an, a victory for Biden in this moment. The other big bills that are moving through Congress are more tied to a Democratic response to the Dobbs decision. On Tuesday, the House passed the Respect for Marriage Act. This would establish federal protections for same-sex and interracial marriage, which as Justice Thomas's you know, concurring opinion in the Dobbs decision said, he thought that those should be revisited, specifically same-sex marriage. He didn't call out interracial marriage. It's a very short bill as legislative bills go. It's only about three and a half pages and it's pretty straightforward. It says that regarding marriage between two individuals, regardless of sex, ethnicity, race, or national origin, if a state has to recognize it based on state actions like taxes, if it was a marriage certificate was issued in another state, every state has to respect it. It was designed really as a messaging piece. Democrats were using it to run and point out the impact of Dobbs on LGBT people and people of color. But it got actually 47 votes from House Republicans and it's headed to the Senate. And where originally it was thought like it would never pass, they're now thinking it does have a possibility of passage. So five senators, Portman, Collins, Johnson, Murkowski, and Tillis have already said they're going to or likely going to vote for the bill. And 27 Republican senators have either declined to comment or have been non-committal. So they've got five, they just need five more to overcome a filibuster. Question of whether that happens. And of course, the other is on abortion rights themselves. The core focus of the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. The House has passed two bills to protect abortion rights. One would codify the right to abortion, and the second would prohibit punishment for people traveling to another state. The House you know, legislation is really focused on what are the impacts of that Supreme Court decision. But unlike the marriage bill, neither one seemed to have any votes, enough votes to pass the Senate. So they're really more a chance for Democrats to say, we would support this and we would make this happen if we would retain the House and Senate and if we had majorities significant enough to do so. So showing their action and intention. The other big thing around abortion has been yesterday in Indiana, where lawmakers have met to have a really controversial bill that they're debating around a near total ban on abortion. And it's the first legislative session of its kind since the Dobbs decision. 
Vice President Harris actually went to Indiana. She's holding a roundtable with Indiana Democrats to kind of highlight the differences and try to continue to put this on the American people's kind of radar and really force it as a dynamic, especially leading into the midterms. Last thing to talk about is actually kind of the international, uh, the state of our globe and our international politics and their impact on American democracy. So obviously inflation continues to dominate a lot of the conversations and while Democrats are looking to put issues like abortion or marriage equality at the center, the Republicans are trying to keep the focus on inflation. And some new studies just coming out this week all showing actually that the U.S. has fared better than Europe and other parts of the world when it comes to inflation and that the global dynamics impacting inflation, some of it can be under the control of national leaders, but some of it, especially war in Ukraine, outside of the control of any national government. So a lot of attention, how will this war in Ukraine, the invasion by Russia, play out over the next few months and what will be its impact? The Russian foreign minister actually came out a couple days ago saying that their objective is to topple Ukrainian President Zelensky's administration, which is an expansion of their narrower focus right now. They've been saying just trying to take over the eastern Donbass region and support independence in that region. So likely that it's going to continue months ahead, which will have real ripple effects on the global economy and on American politics. The other thing, of course, is concern around China and Taiwan. So as Pelosi, who has not yet confirmed her trip, but has said that she thinks it's important to show her support for Taiwan, China has been coming out saying that they will use forceful measures if the visit occurs and apparently have privately suggested a military response was possible, which has triggered real concern from the Biden administration. Pelosi would be the first House Speaker to visit Taiwan since Newt Gingrich went there in 97. You know, 25 years have passed, big questions of what would a visit happen, how would it play out, and would it lead to another military conflict, this time in between China and Taiwan, like Russia and Ukraine, things that would have real global implications in so many ways. So lots to be concerned about on the horizon. But for now, as we wrap up July, that's all for this week's review of Developments in American Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking with you again next week in August on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.